0: You're
1: listening to the voice. Welcome in
2: Hello everyone, welcome back. This is the Voice On Radio. My name is Philip, and I am your host for this afternoon. And I'm joined by my dear friend, my good pal, Nicholas.
3: How are you, Nicholas? Hi, Philip. Very good, and you? Oh yeah, very very well. Um, How are you feeling after such a long break? I'm feeling really excited to come back and well, we have many things prepared for this semester so I hope that all of our listeners will tune in this week and the upcoming weeks to get to know what is going on with The Voice. Okay, you heard the man stay tuned.
2: Uh, so, we've got something uh, something scheduled, or maybe not scheduled, but planned for this semester. So, we've got a news segment. Okay, well, in recent news, what has been going on in KU Leuven? Well, we've had something called the Patron Saints Day. So, it's a very important event that it's one of the two actually major events, uh, like religious events, that uh, KU Leuven holds every year. And... Probably you've you've never maybe not heard of it, but I'm sure you've seen it. You've probably seen pictures with like teachers dressed in robes and red and black robes, for example. Don't worry, it's not a sect or a cult. It is just this very old tradition that KU Leuven has. It's actually very beautiful. So make sure you yeah make sure you have a read about this because it's it's very very interesting. It goes back very deep to the 15th century. So just type in patron saints day KU Leuven and you're gonna be in for a nice read. Well, something else that's very interesting is, I actually read yesterday that KU Leuven offers courses on beer brewing. How does that seem, Nicholas? Really tasty. Yeah, so basically they have, there's this online platform called EDX, so it's it's an educative platform uh, founded by Harvard, and KU Leuven actually has a lot of courses there, so there you go, if you wanna brew beer, just yeah, <laughs> if you wanna learn how to brew beer, Go right ahead and uh, take this course, uh, but anyways, as a last news from my part, uh, there is a project called PlunderVolt. Now, PlunderVolt is basically a project led by IMEC from K. Leuven, in cooperation with the University of Birmingham in the UK and TU Graz in Austria, and essentially they show it's it's actually a very interesting study, and they show that depending on um, how much voltage you give your processor in a computer it will actually determine how likely it is to be attacked and basically determines the vulnerability of your processor. So if you're interested in IT or actually if you just want to learn about, uh, about this further, um, yeah, just go on the Keyloven website, you're sure to find it. Just write Project Vault, and um, yeah. In other news,
3: we know that the Vice-Rector Chris Van Get wants broader commitment to university development cooperation. After a recent visit to Ethiopia, she saw that actually you have like long-term results from having like university development cooperation. And it's something that you would call the snowball effect of the cooperation between North and South. So, we all know that different masters and bachelors have small programs where you can do like an Erasmus or something like an Erasmus on the South, let's say Latin American countries or African countries, and these courses are specifically for either thesis where you want to see development or you want to study development or just like to follow courses that will help the world, well, be a better place, of course. I want to talk about one research that is being done here in k Leuven that, well, title, the headline for this research is Love Hormone, Improves Attachment Issues in People with Autism. So they're studying that the oxytocin, what we know usually as the love hormone, and is known to promote social bonding. Well, they've seen that if you um inject or administer oxytocin to adult men which have autism they can be a little bit more open to close emotional bonds with others so they have seen that it has like a long positive term effect as well and i think philip that's all the news we have for today Okay, so I think this
2: is a very good moment to introduce the topic of this show. So we wanted to kind of bring something very, very chill, very relaxed, because we know it should be a relaxed day. Uh, So we wanted basically to kind of play some songs and talk about them in like more in depth, kind of analyze them and show, really reveal their beauty, but like
3: literally and with words. So we have as well something special prepared for you. We want to see like songs from different decades. And we'll start from the decade of the 40s. And we'll move forward till the decade of the 2000s. Well, I don't know if you could call it like the decade of 2000s. How would you call it, Philip? I don't know, just the 2000s, I guess. All right, let's go for the 2000s. (laughs) So we'll discover some songs from different decades. And I think we're ready for our first song, Philip. Of course. So let me introduce As Time Goes
2: By by Jimmy Durante.
1: On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate needs man and man must have his mate that no one can deny it's still the same old story a fight for love and glory a case of do or die the world will always welcome lovers as time goes by The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by.
3: Hello, hello. We are back. And well, Philip, what do you think about this phrase? A kiss is just a kiss, a sight is just a sight, as time goes by. Oh, this is, it,
2: it's very romantic. It, it brings me a lot of A lot of thoughts, man. It really goes deep. Oh yeah, it It goes deep into my soul. But what (laughs) does it mean? What does this song mean, Nicholas? To you, what does it? What do you feel when you listen to this song?
3: Well, I don't know if. Well, we have first to place ourselves in the decade of the 40s, and there was this very famous movie called Casablanca. And well, I'll give a little overview of the movie and what the song means in the movie. Try not to make that many spoilers for it. So first of all. We have to know that Casablanca during the Second World War was a place where people wait with a certain feeling of purgatory, like an intermediary holding for those who want to escape their old lives and pursue new lives in America. So we know that this was like a very strong period between Germany, France and the US, but Casablanca was that middle place where people, where you would find like all kind of people. You would find people working for the Nazis and, as well, people working for their resistance. So, as time goes by, it's set in the film as an atom of hope and change, the atom of liberation through love. So, the film goes like this a tiny bit. In 1941, Rick, a man living in Casablanca, owns a nightclub and gambling den. He had fallen in love with a woman Elsa in Paris in 1940, who left him with no explanation in their attempt to escape from the imminent fall of the city by the German army. One year later, they meet again in Casablanca, and, they encounter, and their encounter is enlightened by the song that once united them, as time goes by. A song that Rick refused to listen to all that time, but when it was finally played, turned out to be liberating and love enhancing. So, for the film, without going more with the spoilers, It's a song that changes a man with no purpose, with no idea in the middle of war, a man whose only hope till that moment was surviving in the middle between good and evil, in the neutral zone of those who choose to stay and fight, and those that aim to flee and surrender themselves to destiny. Now, moving forward more to what the song is... Even though this song became famous through this film and its a spirit lifted by the love between Rick and Ilse, it was first written by the American songwriter Herman Hofeldt and first played by Francis Williams in 1931 in a Broadway musical, Everybody's Welcome. And well, that is kind of the explanation or the context of this song, like in history, like in the 40s. And well, love is a beautiful thing and it can be expressed in many ways, right, Philip? Of course, of course. But I actually know you, you, you like this singer, right, Jimmy Durante? Yeah, quite a lot. I love that he's kind of theatrical in the way he sings. That's true. So That's we could true. not see it that much in this song but you still feel it, it's more like playing around with words, so it's it's amazing. I think that we have already played Jimmy Durante before on the show. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but actually, some of his songs are... A lot
2: of his songs are present in movies as well, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, because he's such like a theatrical kind of uh,
3: singer. Yeah, and it's so it's... it's really enjoyable. You, you would feel yourself either in Broadway or watch like, a musical at home when you listen to him. So I think it's kind of charming to listen to his voice.
2: Yeah, I, I was never kind of a, like a theatrical guy, but, you know, you really have the feeling that... I mean, even, you know, even if you have no idea about these kind of like songs, you still... Immediately have this feeling that it's a theatrical song, and he's—I know—it's it's very nice. Exactly, it's really, really enjoyable. Well, I think it's a perfect moment to introduce our next song. But uh,
3: Nicholas, you told me before the show that you have something to say about this. Yeah, I know that some people are lucky to have like a couple, but other people will sit down tonight, maybe watch a movie or go to the cinema, or maybe gather with friends and play some bitter pool. And that's why we can all say that, but well, we don't. We don't all have kind of a cupid, right, Philip? Or if we do, it's kind of a stupid cupid. <laughs> of course. Okay.
2: Well, let me introduce the song then: "Stupid Cupid" by Connie Francis.
4: Stupid Cupid, you're a real mean guy. I'd like to clip your wings so you can't fly.
5: Stupid cupid. I'm in love and it's a
4: crying shame. Cupid. And I know that you're the one to blame. Hey, hey. Stupid Cupid, stop picking on me I can't do my homework and I can't be straight I meet them every morning about half past eight Stupid Cupid, I'm acting like a lovesick fool stupid, You've stupid. even got me carrying those books to school Stupid Cupid, hey, hey, you set me free Stupid Cupid, stop picking on me
3: So that was Stupid Cupid by Connie Francis. So this is our song for the 50s. After three years of failure, Connie Francis, like a very known singer right now alongside Peggy Lee, for instance, who we played and last year on the radio show, well, she finally had a hit in the spring of 1958 with a rock ballad version of the standard Who's Sorry Now. So, if you have not listened to that song, we invite you to listen to it. But unfortunately, she had, like, some singles coming afterwards that were less successful, and she was like, okay, I have to find something for my third record. I have to make something special. Because we know that by this time, you sign, like, a contract with a label, and if you don't have like a record or if you're just like a one record artist then you're most likely not to renew this contract so she needed kind of uh yeah a really good song for the third record so she listened to every pl- publisher's song in new york but nothing was making her feel like okay this is my song so eventually don kishner of alden music one of the uh, um, music associations back then had Greenfield and Sidaka, who were staff writers for Alden, visit Frances at her home to pitch some of their songs, and she had as well a friend called Bobby Darin that argued that the slow and dense ballads that were being offered by both Greenfield and Sidaka didn't appeal to the teenager market. And we know that by this time, if you've watched movies from the 40s, 60s and all this, we know that we have like the small romantic teenagers that want to make love something special, that want to go and dance in the disco, that want to have like a beer or a milkshake. Do you like milkshakes, Philip? Yes, but actually, were there discos in the 40s? Well, not called discos, but of course you would find like these places where people dance. I don't know how you call them in the <laughs> 40s, but I would say it's kind of a version of the disco. Yeah, I guess, sure. Yeah, and well... I know that the milkshakes were more like 80s or 90s with Grease, but still, I'm I'm sure people enjoyed milkshakes back then. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Anyways, it's still to make the point, right? I mean... (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so we know that these songs that were being pitched were not like well, they did not appeal to the teenage market. So, Francis asked Greenfield and Sedaka if they had something faster and bouncier, which was very strange because Connie Francis, by this time, she was not really known for having like faster and bouncier songs. So, Greenfield asked Sedaka to play a Stupid Cupid that was like an up tempo number intended for the Shepherd sisters, like an American vocal quartet back then not that famous, because I've never heard of it, but maybe you have Philip, and no. maybe one listener out there will know them, or if not, you can discover these artist as well. So Sedaka at first was like, oh no, 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 you Connie Francis, you are kind of a classy lady, you don't want to be singing this kind of song that is like, I'm on a stupid cupid, it. it's not really deep, it's more like straightforward to the point. But then she listened to it and was like, okay, I mean, what do you have To lose with it, if everyone hates it, would you all just try to find a new song? But guess what? No one hated it. They all love it, and now it's one of the most famous songs by well, sang by Connie Francis. Yeah, was it a hit back then? Actually, sorry, was it a hit back then? Yeah, yeah, it was. Of course, it was like her. It was the hit from her third record and that song maintained her, like, in the cospet, if we want to say it like that, of the music alongside Peggy Lee, another artist that went from the 50s and 60s a bit with this kind of genre. I don't know, how, how would you describe this kind of genre of the time? I, I don't know, you, you wouldn't call it Soul either, it's like, I don't know. I don't it's know. something very special because yeah. Soul, I think, would come more like with the 80s. But still, you have kind of the soul there. Well, soul would come, of course, from the 20s, but I mean it would go deeper, more like in the 80s again. Yeah, that's true. I I
2: don't know, actually, yeah. That's a very good point. And did she actually maintain this kind of style, Connie Francis, after the song?
3: I think she mixed it quite a lot. I think that many of the artists tend to mix it back then, because if we consider Peggy Lee... I know that I've mentioned Peggy Lee quite a lot, but I love her. (laughs) So, if you have a chance of listening to her, listen to her. We both love her. Yeah, we both love Peggy Lee. And she has as well some songs that are kind of faster and straightforward to the point, but she has other songs that are kind of, that dig deeper into the human soul and have like a deeper meaning. So I think we can have like this highlight as a characteristic back then. That artists have to, even though they had like a personality in music, they had to try different things in order to maintain their contracts with their records. with with the record companies because we didn't have this concept of indie music that came more like with the 80s and the 90s that you didn't really need like a label to get your music out or like right now if you want to make an album you can make it and put it for one dollar online yeah so back then you were forced to follow the trends in order to survive in a market of music yeah that's true And, well, I think that that's, like, the the whole analysis I would do of this song, so it doesn't have, like, a context, like, um, as time goes by Did but still, I think there is very nice, like, to understand the dynamics of labels back then, of how artists had to shape themselves based based on the needs of the market, not really on what they fully wanted to do by themselves. And, well, I think that the next song is one of your favorite, Philip, so why don't you go ahead and introduce that for this beautiful weather that we have today. Okay, well, thank you for the
2: introduction, Nicholas. So, what we're going to hear next is a beautiful kind of illustration of how the vibe was during the 60s, so we're going to hear Respect by Aretha Franklin, so enjoy (laughs) it. The song you just heard is "Respect" by Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. So this song was actually released in 1967, and it's one of her signature songs, actually. And it goes way deeper, I think, than uh, most of you would uh, well would think. Uh, So this is basically a cover by a song from Otis Redding called "Respect" as well. But the two actually have very very different meanings. So. The, the, the version of Otis Redding basically is a plea from a desperate man who wants to give his woman whatever she wants, just for her, even if she does him wrong, just to obtain her respect. So, Franklin's version, on the other hand, like Franklin's version of respect, it's about a young, confident, and independent woman, basically telling her man that he needs to respect her. According to her... All she demands from him is nothing short of respect. So Aretha's version went on to become one of the most famous female empowerment anthems of all time. So not only was this an anthem for women empowerment, but it was a powerful anthem as well for African-Americans and all the other marginalized groups all around the world. So... Some people might think that this song could also be about her tense marriage with Ted White, but she never said that for sure, so I guess um, we will never know, but... Interesting, however, as well. So, as I said, Discover was a huge uh, a huge hit, let's say, for the feminist movement in the late 60s, and earned her two Grammy Awards in 1968, and was induced in the H- Grammy Hall of Fame in 1987. And this song was also uh, basically included in the top 500 greatest songs of all time, and in the songs of the century. So, Nicholas, how did you feel
3: about this song? Did you like it? Well, I actually loved it. it, it's very powerful, when when, when you listen to Olin Mask and it's for a little respect, you, you feel the empowerment that you were talking about, like the empowerment of women, the empowerment of this, Afro-American people. Yeah, you could, so, you, you could really feel like the tensions back then, I mean… Yeah, exactly, and and you feel that it's a liberating atom as well, you, you feel that people you, you can imagine people dancing with a song, people enjoying themselves with a the song, and it's something that not many songs could do back then, because you would feel like, okay, this sounds like, with all the respect, very whitey. You don't really feel like there is a r- inclusive for everyone to gather ar- around and sing it and dance it. Well, this happens with this song.
2: Yeah, that's true. It was a very, maybe not too rare, but it was a very like uncommon song because uh yeah, I mean these. Usually, these songs weren't really appreciated by the public. Uh, but I think this was this was kind of she kind of gave the start of this kind of like type of music, like you know, uh, empowering women, empowering like uh, minorities, etc. So I think it's it's very interesting the the route she took. And uh, yeah, that's true. She put a little
3: bit of respect to this kind of <laughs> <laughs> this kind of music.
2: Yeah, put respect exactly. Put some respect. Yeah, but I hope you liked it, and I hope you you learned something, and maybe will it is it time to uh, to move on to the 70s i think it is okay so what you're gonna hear next is some deep purple so it's uh, it's one of my um maybe not of my, my favorites but it's um they're pretty damn good so the next song is gonna be when a blind man cries by deep purple The song that you just heard, again, is When a Blind Man Cries, by Deep Purple. So you've probably heard this song somewhere, most likely through Metallica, which actually covered their song in their tribute album, Remachined, a tribute to Deep Purple's Machine Head. So actually, Metallica got heavily inspired by Deep Purple, and they liked them so much that they made an entire album with cover songs, taken from the most famous album of Deep Purple, Machine Head. So, A Blonde Man Cries is a single played by Deep Purple, released in 1972. Richie Blackmore, the guitarist of Deep Purple, actually never liked the song. In fact, they never ever played this song live, with the exception of one occasion when Richie Blackmore was ill and Randy California stood in for him. So, very very weird situation, but um, after the guitarist Steve Morse joined the band, this song is usually extended to around 7 minutes when performed in concert with him, while the original song is only 3 minutes in length. So he probably adds some nice guitar solos, etc, but uh, yeah, interesting to know this. Uh, so I've kind of like looked at the lyrics and tried to interpret them in my own way. Uh, So what I feel through the lyrics is that uh, Ian Gillen, so the singer of uh, of Deep Purple, I hope I pronounced his name right, um, I think he wanted to talk about how people who are blind can actually cry. And this we can basically see from the main verse and the chorus as well. So, of course, the chorus, When a Blind Man Cries, and I think he really tries to accentuate um, the kind of deteriorating friendship between him and Blackmore, actually, Um, and there's a very powerful verse uh, in the song called, I mean, it's basically, had a friend once in a room, had a good time, but it ended much too soon. So it really kind of, I think, um, tries to illustrate that he's, uh, he's grieving after his deteriorating friendship with uh, this guitarist. And um, this is uh, this, basically their album, Machine Head, uh, in which uh, When A Blind Man Cries was, uh, was, pub- was released in, um, it was actually a hit, right? So they, they toured and everything, but very soon after there were some very big problems in the band and it actually came to an end pretty quick. Um, But uh, I think through this song kind of uh, the singer really wanted to illustrate uh, The tension and the clashes uh, in the band at that time So I think in this song a blind man cries can kind of be a metaphor for uh, the singer himself uh, Ian Gillen because I mean he's a blind man. He's crying, but it's not necessarily that he's shutting himself off from the rest of the world by being, blind, cetera, by being blind, for example, but he's being shut off by others for being blind. So I don't understand why this would be the case. Maybe he was going through like a difficult period, but um, yeah. So personally, it's a song that is very focused on this kind of deteriorating friendship between Blackmore, the guitarist, and Gillen. And um, yeah, I think... It's about loneliness as well. Uh, Gillen was also feeling pretty lonely at that time. Uh, he was not married at that time either, and um, his friendship was deteriorating fast. And soon after, he left the band as well, which kind of came, yeah, which kind of, uh, yeah, stopped Deep Purple for a while. But um, I guess they came, they came back later, but um, not in the original formation. So, did you like it Nicholas this
3: song? Yep, I liked it a lot, and I don't know, I feel that this song represents, I mean, it might be only my interpretation of the lyrics, but we know that back then, well, even now, when you have like bands of this kind of type, there's a lot of drug consumption and a lot of alcohol consumption, and the way I see it when you have like a blind man cries is like, when you, are, when you get drunk, when you do drugs for a long time, like in a band, at the end you will not realize it. That, will, that can break the relationship in the band, as you were talking. I don't know if that was the case for the members of the band to, this, well, to dismantle the band, but we have other examples, for instance with Aerosmith. We know that they have never broken up like a band, but there was a moment where there was like a very high tension between the guitarist Joe Perry, if I'm not mistaken with the name, and Steven Tyler. OK. So, it was because of drugs and all this, but what I see with, it, with a... Blind man cries is that you are blind all the all the time because you are not feeling yourself because you are under the effect of drugs under the effect of alcohol but at the end eventually you are crying on the inside because you are breaking apart everything that is surrounding you so I think that this could be like in my interpretation that's that's true this is one of
2: one of the other kind of points of view that you can have uh, because he actually makes a lot of references to uh, to you know to this blind this
3: blind man is actually a homeless and drunk person exactly so, so it's really like you don't realize who you are until you see that everything is falling apart. That's the way I see the song, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah it's yeah. It could be another interesting interpretation to it. Um. Yeah, well, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, subjective kind of uh, thoughts from us, and hopefully you form your own. So um, yeah, check out Dear Purple, it's, it's an amazing band. Uh, they have a lot of really, really nice songs, and um, one that I recommend is actually Soldier of Fortune. It's also one that has a lot of uh, deeper meaning. Um, I chose this one though because it's it's very interesting and it's, it's more representative of how they felt at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, Soldier of Fortune as well, great song, and um, yeah. And having finished with a blind man cries, I think it's time to play a uh, beautiful song by Leonard Cohen. I'm sure you're all very uh, very aware of him, but I thought this song would be very interesting to analyze because it has it's very, very beautiful. I wasn't expecting such um, such emotion and such complexity in this song, but um, here you go. it's actually very, very interesting. So the next song will be Take This Waltz" by Leonard Cohen. So enjoy.
6: There's ten pretty women, there's a shoulder where death comes to cry, there's a lobby with nine hundred windows, there's a tree where the dogs go to die, there's a piece that was torn from the morning, and it hangs in the gallery of frost. This waltz, take this walls, take this walls, take this walls with a clamp on its jaws. Oh, I want you, I want you, I want you on a chair with a dead magazine in the cave at the tip of the lily. In some hallway where love's never been On our bed where the moon has been sweating In a cry filled with footsteps and sand Aye, 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 Take this walls, take this walls, Take its broken waste in your hand This waltz, this walls, this walls, With its very own breath of brandy and death Dragging its tail in the sea There's a concert hall in Vienna Where your mouth had a thousand reviews and I'll see what you've chained to your sorrow All your sheep and your lilies of snow Aye, 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 aye. Take this waltz, take this waltz With its I'll never forget you, you know My mouth on the dew of your eyes, and I'll bury my soul in a scrapbook with the photographs there and the moths, and I'll yield to the flood of your beauty, my cheap violin.
2: So oh, the song that you just heard is again Take This Waltz by Leonard Cohen. I really, really like this song and I really like the um, the artist as well, so Leonard Cohen himself. Uh, but a little bit about the song. So it was released in 1986 and it was initially released in the album Poet in New York and later on in the album I'm Your Man. So, you can see kind of that he had some uh, some very romantic tendencies at the time. And the song is actually a loose translation into English of the poem Pequeño... Nicholas, can
3: you help me out? Yes, of course. Um, the name is Pequeño Valls Viennese. And what does it translate to? Um, exa- well, like little vine-
2: Viennese waltz. Okay. And uh, from what I understand, it's
3: by a poet called Federico García Lorca. So yeah, <laughs> did yeah. I put the right intonation on yeah, his name? Yeah, you yeah? Put it, I mean, you put it kind of more artistic, I would call it just like Federico García Lorca. Okay, but you, so you, put it, you put it like with a, uh, you just spice it up kind okay. of the name.
2: Yeah, I, I know that usually you have this tendency of kind of uh, making, uh, saying all the names a little deeper with the voice. Um, Federico Garcia Loca. That's that's better. That's better. Yeah, that's better. Anyways, it's one of Leonard Cohen's favorite uh, poets, and uh, Pequeño vals Vienes, I hope I pronounced it right, is one of his favorite poems as well. Uh, But kind of diving in into the meaning of this song. So the meaning is actually quite, uh, quite deep, actually. And when I read it, I had to read it a few times to kind of yeah, to kind of like get the hang of it. Uh, but how I see it is that I see it at the beginning a story of a war and of a fallen soldier. But then, but then, kind of when he says "take this waltz," as you can hear in the uh, in the song, I kind of um, yeah, I interpret it as him giving. I mean, yeah, him giving the waltz to all the fallen soldiers. So. I don't know, it's kind of a, a tribute or an homage to uh, to all the fighters uh, during the war. But then there's a break, kind of in the first part of the of the song, and then I see it as the beginning of a new story. So then I see uh, the ending of a war story and the beginning of another, a story of love, where through his lyric, take this waltz, he offers his woman his love. So. Afterwards, after this, uh, after this kind of story, I see a beginning of a new story again, and, um, and, and yeah, this, uh, this story basically, uh, it's, yeah, it starts with him kind of being very nostalgic about all the past, and him being very, um, maybe not depressed, but also kind of melancholic, um, so, I don't know, this, this song is really, really interesting, and it has a few stories, I mean, that's how I see it, at least, uh, but it, it really does make sense, I mean, every i don't know um, how you, how do you call these um how do you call them in uh, nicholas these uh these kind of segments in poems i'm not sure how to translate them in um, english Oof, that's in english
3: i have no idea but in spanish you would call it estrofas
2: yeah well <laughs> yeah but
3: no idea in, <laughs> in english. all
2: the languages i know they're called except for english they're called <laughs> strophes as well um but yeah it, it kind of it really resembles the structure of a poem and um yeah it's i
3: don't know it's very interesting do you like Leonard cohen yeah i like him quite a lot <laughs> of of course this will sound a little bit cliche, but my favorite song is Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, it's, but it's but nice. it's really nice and it it's kind of interesting to see that he has like made an ode to Federico García Lorca. Because the way you were explaining it, like of the meaning of the song itself, is kind of the style that Federico García Lorca used to have when writing poems. He would talk a lot about like civil wars in Spain, or as well about um, the, the strong situation that gypsies had that, at a certain time in Spain. So there is like a lot of politics behind the lyrics, behind the, the words, behind everything. So I think that you really found the meaning that Lorca wanted with his poem through the song of coin. So, yeah. that's beautiful.
2: I, I hope I did. I mean... <laughs> It was, yeah, I don't know, like I couldn't find, well, I had to do my research, of course, but I couldn't really find much, um, because, I don't know, maybe people just don't, don't understand the meaning of it immediately or something, but... Uh. Yeah, exactly.
3: And as well, I don't remember from which movie, but I've seen it in many movies, maybe one of the listeners will, will know what this movie is, and if you see us on the street, you will tell us, but you are, like, in the middle of a war, and you have, like, soldiers drinking a beer before going the next day to risk their lives. And there is this song being played, this lady or man singing a song, and you enjoy the moment, you dance it. So I see it a little bit like this as well, it's like a break in the middle of war, yeah, like a pause, I don't know. And it's beautiful because you feel like the world could be falling apart, but there is a certain moment, either inside ourselves or outside of ourselves, that makes us feel more at peace or something. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, that's true. I really do think
2: that with his lyrics, he kind of tried to bring that up. Um, yeah, I don't know. In, yeah, in my opinion, uh, the waltz itself, actually, the the, the dance, right? It's exactly. it's really that's a symbol of. like Yeah, it's it's a symbol of um, maybe not happiness, but like true really really true love and i think this is what he wanted to kind of bring um with this song uh but anyways an amazing song really worth listening and discussing but um i think it's time to move on to uh, another decade so i think the decade that we're gonna go to is the 90s so i'll let
3: you introduce this song nicholas thank you philip and of course for song the 90s it's a song from 1999 so it's by the end of the 90s but i think that it makes like a smooth transition between the uh, well between the 90s and the 2000s so this song is the book of love by the magnetic fields
0: And things were all too young to know But I
3: Welcome back, and um, this was The Book of Love by The Magnetic Fields. This song was written by Stephen Merritt and attributed to The Magnetic Fields, an American indie pop group founded and led by him. The Book of Love appears on the magnetic field's three-volume concept of album 69 69 love songs, which contains, of course, 69 tracks described as love songs, 23 tracks in each of the three volumes. This, as I was saying before we played the song, this three-volume album was released in 1999, with The Book of Love appearing in volume 1 as track number 12. Ironically, we would say like, okay, yes, it's a song about love, but it's a very strange way of regarding love, because you are like, you have traditional love, so you have like, the book of love has been written a long time ago, it's long, it's boring, because sometimes we feel that love is not renovated. So you have to, as with a a wedding, and even he mentions the wedding in the song, you have to renovate your vows after a certain time. So with love is the same thing. If you keep yourself in the same traditional story, in the same old thing, in the same old ideas, your love will die. You have to innovate yourself and you have to put yourself into the new dynamics. It's like, unfortunately, I mean, I love to write like love letters, handwritten letters, but it's something that was from before. Now, to do that is not enough, you have to go one step further. So I think that this song tries to represent like the transition or how love has to evolve in order to maintain it alive, um, either if it's like romantic love, or if it is family love, or even if it's love for a country. Because let's say, okay, we've seen that we have, we've had like some songs that regard to war or to these tough situations, so we are like, if we love our nation, we have to evaluate every time how our love is perceived, because if we keep ourselves like in the old times, in the old appreciation of what love is to a country, we would end up, with all the respect to all those that are fans of Trump, we will end with presidents like Trump. They are, they are really loving a country the way it was meant to love a long time ago. is not the way to love it nowadays. So you have to renovate that idea and get better presidents, better politicians, and better ways of yeah, of addressing love in general. Or don't you think so, Philip? Am I going too political here? Yeah, I was, I was wondering, how the hell did you turn this into a political discussion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I'm saying like... You would know that Trump loves the US. It's clear. But he doesn't love it in a contemporaneous way. He's loving it in a way that is willing to go for to war just because he loves US. He's, we're going to the Nazis again. You're willing to go to war because you love your race and you love your nation and you want to make your nation greater. I mean that's the same that's the same speech that Trump uses just in different terms. I mean I'm not going more political here, but <laughs> I'm just saying that it's It's a yeah. It's a synonym of the way that love is perceived. Let's say it like that. Well, going back to the song before going more political, Philip. Better. We know that the Magnetic Fields, um, well, they played in the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith in January of 2001, and they played the whole of the 69 Love songs, and they were joined by Peter Gabriel, one artist that you love quite a lot, I know. Oh yeah. For an encore of the Book of Love. And then he recorded that song for the soundtrack of the 2004 film Shall We Dance? And Shall We Dance is a 2004 American romantic comedy drama film directed by Peter Shelson and starring Richard Gere, Jennifer Lopez, and Susan Sarandon. It's a romantic comedy where a bored, overworked state lawyer up on first sight of a beautiful instructor signs up for ballroom dancing lessons. It was not that famous, it was not that good, it didn't really have like a good review in Rotten Tomatoes and all these sites, but it was <laughs> a remake from the 1996 <laughs> Japanese film of the same name. And well, Gabriel's version also appeared in the 2010 album It Scratch My Back, and until now I have no idea why the album is called like that yeah you think actually
2: um, so the original song is by the Magnetic Fields right do yeah. you think they were tired of, of love because they say okay the book of love is long and boring um, they say some of it is just really dumb like wh- how, what do you, how can you comment on these things this kind of
3: cri- critici- cri- criticism about love itself yes but It's, again, what I was talking about, so, for instance, it says, like, the Book of Love is full of charts and facts and figures. So, it's the same thing if you're reading, like, a Book of Maths. You're looking at things that, okay, people have already discovered, people have already written charts or written um, tons of books about a certain topic. The only way to to make maths interesting is to go one step further, to make more research, to use what is already known and reshape it. So I think that what they want to express with the song is the same. It's like, okay, yes, we're tired of the traditional love. You're telling me that I have to dance this way, this way, I have to love this way, this way. If I don't do it like this. I don't love. I'm I'm not able to love. What they want to say is that you can love the way you want to love. All love is different. And it's not because you're not following the rules. It's not because you are not dancing the same way. It's not because you are following the same rules that Romans used to use a long time ago. But you can love. I mean, love is possible in such many ways. That's the way I address it rather than a criticism of love in general. It's more a criticism of love maintained as a single way of expression.
2: Okay, and moving on from this song. Wow,
3: it's it's very interesting, actually.
2: Maybe we can have more of these if you guys like it. Um, but anyways, the next song that you will hear is going to be Rome Wasn't Built in a Day by the band called Morsheba. So enjoy. You and me
5: were meant to be Walking free in harmony One fine day we will fly away Don't you know that Rome wasn't built in a day? Hey, hey, hey.
2: The song that you just heard is... Rome Wasn't Built in a Day, and it was released in the very, very early 2000s by the English group Morsheba. I hope I, uh, I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, I'm not sure that this song goes really as deep as the other ones, but the title itself refers to the famous proverb, Rome Wasn't Built in a Day, meaning that important work takes time, and it usually it is usually maybe used as a plea for someone to be patient. So in my eyes, it's kind of centered about building a relationship, and Even though there may be fights, I think the lyrics really underline the fact that these things don't matter, uh, as long as the two characters in the song um, have this kind of destiny, which is basically to be together. Um, But I think the main message of this song is we all have to hang on, slowly build trust, and kind of, yeah, kind of work our way through. Don't rush everything. Uh, This is something you taught me, Nicholas. Don't rush it. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah. So this was it for the content of today. I hope you all really enjoyed it. This beautiful journey through the years. Don't forget to um, yeah to follow us on social media. So we are the Voice International Student Publication on Facebook. You can find us on our website as usual for the articles on thevoiceleuven.be, and of course you can find us under the name the Voice on Radio on podcast.com, Spotify. And Mixcloud. If you don't find us, just type in the voice K U L, and you should find us. I mean, it's um, there's small issues, but it doesn't matter. But that was it for me. And Nicholas, I will uh, I will give you the honors of closing
3: this beautiful, beautiful show. Thank very much, Philip. It was a pleasure to be here to share like all of these crazy thoughts about these songs with all of our listeners. And well, I hope to have them. Next week for a new interesting show and well have a nice evening and enjoy this beautiful weather that is coming ahead.
1: You're listening to the, the voice. See you guys. Welcome
0: to Leuven. Leuven, your welcome. Da
1: bro pa ja uit Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Welcome in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 Welcome to Leuven.